Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, put your word more fully in our hearts so that we might follow you. Shape us by your love and power. Use these words of yours to shape our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. Well, happy Mother's Day. It's not exactly, I know, I know, it's not exactly on the liturgical or church calendar. And um, you know that we Anglicans are taught not to listen or go by the secular calendar, but to stick to the liturgical calendar, right? And I know we're right in the middle of a great series on Acts. And, uh, you know, listen to that Revelation passage. I know all that. But I wondered today, is there anything in the New Testament that could teach us how best to celebrate Mother's Day, even if it is a secular holiday? And I think the answer is yes. So I'd like to, if you'll indulge me, look at three little tiny passages and open them up to us and see if they will help us celebrate Mother's Day better, at least as followers of Jesus. First, a little background. Mothers in Jesus' day were honored, right? They were. There was no need for Mother's Day because every day was Mother's Day. In fact, even now in the Middle East, when a woman gives birth to a son, her name changes. No longer is she Mary or Elizabeth, but she becomes mother of Yeshua or mother of John. Her whole name is changed. Only her intimates or elders would ever call her again by her given name. Her identity is linked intricately with her motherhood. Now you can imagine how hard that makes it for single women or women struggling with infertility. Her whole identity is at stake. Anyway, mothers are honored. And one day, as Jesus is teaching, you remember, this is in Luke 11, you remember in Luke 11 is where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. He talks about how God wants to give them good gifts. And then he's doing, as he often does, right? He teaches and casts out demons. So he's casting out demons. And the Pharisees watching this are mumbling among themselves. The only reason he can cast out demons is he's one of them. He's aligned with Beelzebub. In other words, the evil one, Satan. And in the face of that, he's teaching the crowds that it's not enough just to be cleansed from demons. You have to fill that empty space with God, with the fullness of God. And, or, otherwise, you're going to be worse off than before. So in the middle of all this, pretty intense teaching, right? A woman yells out, and this is in a Luke, Luke 11, 27. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that you sucked. Now to our ears, that's pretty weird, right? Uh, but to the ears of those listening to Jesus, not so much. In fact, it was a gracious compliment. 
And it's, it's a good one, right? Because she's complimenting, she get, it's a two-in-one compliment, right? She's giving Mary a compliment, and she's giving Jesus one at the same time. What a good son you are that your mother can be called blessed because of your gracious teaching and actions. Double duty. And of course, her words have a certain resonance to us who have heard the Christmas story, right? We know that the angel Gabriel told Mary that she was blessed. And then remember when Mary goes to Elizabeth, her cousin, and she sings the Magnificat. And what does she say about herself? All generations will call me blessed, right? Um, she, she knows that she's blessed, and we do too, because we've read the story. But Jesus' response to this compliment about his mother's blessedness is striking. I mean, it could even sound harsh to our ears. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's actually challenging the woman's presupposition that women are only blessed through their motherhood. Now, of course, what Jesus is not saying is that Mary, his mother, isn't, is, isn't blessed, right? She was. Of course she is. But he's challenging this presupposition that Mary's blessedness comes solely from bearing him. Her blessedness comes from intimacy with the Father, intimacy that God the Father recognized from listening to the word of God and putting it to action for saying yes to God as she did, not just in saying yes to bearing Jesus, but saying yes over and over throughout her life. So Jesus' words don't mean we shouldn't celebrate mothers or Mother's Day for that matter, although at first glance it can look that way, but it does mean that we may need to rethink how we celebrate it well if we're going to be a part of Jesus' family. So let's look at another little text in the New Testament for a little more light on our subject. This one comes from Luke 8. Again, Jesus is teaching, and you know what happens whenever Jesus teaches. We see it in Mark. You couldn't get close. In fact, remember the friends of um, the paralytic? They opened a roof to get, pe to get their friend close to Jesus. So again, there's one of those crowds push closer. They all want to be close. They're hanging on his every word. There's not room even to wiggle. And um, the context in Matthew and Mark, this, this little story is told in all three of the first Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Matthew and Mark's version, the context is similar to the one we just read. The Pharisees are furious this time because Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. And so because of, you know, jealousy maybe, fear, who knows, they start accusing him of being demon-possessed. It seems as if Jesus' mother and brothers are worried about him. Maybe you would be too if that was true of your son or your brother. Uh, maybe they've heard that everyone is saying, he's crazy, he's gone, he's gone overboard, I don't know. Maybe they're worried that he hasn't taken time to eat or to rest, because we know that sometimes happened. Jesus would just keep teaching, even 
through lunchtime. Uh, maybe they're worried because the Pharisees are getting madder and madder, right? And the political situation is a very precarious situation in Israel between the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders. And so the Pharisees getting ticked could have all kinds of big implications. So maybe his family's worried about that. In any case, they seek him out. But of course, okay, they're coming, and here's this crowd. There's no way they can get through. You know, as pushy as, I mean, they're kind of like New Yorkers, right? I can say that as a New Yorker. As pushy as they are, they can't get through the crowd. But uh, the, the crowds are just too big and dense. So they send word through the crowd. Can you picture it? You know, whisper to whisper to whisper to whisper. You know, it's Jesus' family is here. Send it on. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. And because they're Jesus' family, as the crowd, of course, the whole crowd hears this, then by the time it gets to Jesus, everyone knows his family's out there. And of course, in this culture, then they expect Jesus to drop everything. They expect him to respond. They expect him to put his earthly family first. They expect him to see, leave the crowd, see what his family wants. But he doesn't. What, when he's told that his mother and brothers are outside, he responds in a culturally outrageous way with an astounding question. I think sometimes we miss how outrageous so much of what Jesus says is. And this one is one. Who are my mother and brothers? And there's a pregnant pause. And then stretching out his hands toward his disciples, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And in Luke, the passage is a little different. Whoever hears the word of God and does it, right? Those are the ones who belong to my intimate family. Looks like a slam, right, on his family. Certainly, it is a challenge. Jesus is not saying don't value mothers or that he doesn't love and honor his mother, but he is saying something very profound and astonishing, something we often miss. When we do the will of God, rooted in the word of God, we become Jesus' family members with all the intimacy, privileges, challenges that family membership involves. We become his mother, his brother, and sisters. Think about it. We can be outside the crowd and ask for his attention and he'll stop and give it to us. We're in his inner circle. And the corollary, of course, to that, we become sisters and brothers and mothers to one another. We have a kind of, we're meant to have a kind of shared intimacy and involvement, which true families, healthy families share. Memories, Inside jokes, warm teasing, shared heartaches and joys, challenges, forgiveness, so we hope. <laughs> this is what Jesus is offering 
to his disciples to have this with him. An unimaginable intimacy and belonging. And of course he offered this intimacy to his natural mother who loved and trusted God before she ever bore Jesus, who loved and served God throughout Jesus' earthly life, who continued to love and serve God, to hear the word of God and do it, even after Jesus' earthly ministry. So, think about it. How does this bear on Mother's Day? One more passage, if you'll indulge me. This is the passage we just heard. Jesus is teaching about the cost of following him. You may remember the story of the rich young ruler who comes and says, how, how, can, I know the, how, how can I know God? And he's just challenged the ruler who says he's kept all the commandments. He's just challenged him. One thing you lack, he says, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And of course the ruler walks away sadly. He can't. Leave everything and follow me, he says. So Peter, good old Peter, like he often does, he wants an A, right? Jesus, 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 we've left our homes to follow you. In Mark's version, Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. You can see him, right? He's bragging. We've left everything, even if he couldn't. And Jesus says to him, you heard it, right? Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions now in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Did you hear that? Did you? Mothers and brothers and sisters and children, a hundredfold. Imagine it, a family given to us. Whatever our earthly family is like, a family given to us as we follow Jesus. Whenever I think about these things, I think about my friend Edith. Edith came to faith in a little Bible study I led in college. Kind of boggles my mind. And she's been faithful ever since. She's followed Jesus in some significant and costly ways. Uh, always single, still single. Years of faithful ministry, first with YWAM, all over the world, in Amsterdam on a mercy boat, in Hawaii setting up in a university, uh, all, all kinds of important things she did for the Lord. Uh, at some sacrifice, she lived on nothing. And then she moved to Ithaca, New York, where she worked with international students, many of which were working on their doctorates from all over the world, as you might imagine. She worked with them, and she supplemented that work uh, with a degree in counseling, and so she did counseling as well. In that same period of time, she cared for her dying parents in her home. They each died one after the other. 
But you know, Edith is a great example of this passage we just read because she has family a hundredfold. There's a Burmese family who immigrated with nothing and without much education. And she's come alongside them and helped them navigate all the systems that you need, medical systems, visa systems, educational, everything. And it's been very complicated and demanding. But this Burmese family, she told me this, said to her, when you retire, you'll come live with us. It wasn't a question. You'll come live with us, and we'll take care of you. They considered her their family, and they were going to take care of her. She has a family. And there's a baby born recently in the D.C. area to a couple from Zimbabwe. Um, the mom was a student at Cornell getting her Ph.D., lived with Edith for a while, and now this couple lives outside of well, in D.C., and um, when that baby, when their baby was born, Edith was one of the first ones there. She rushed just like any grandma would. She got there fast, and she's just been there to celebrate one of his birthdays. She's part of the family. They're her family, and this baby is going to grow up knowing her as a family member. She gained mothers and brothers and sisters and children as she heard the word of God and did it, even though she left a lot behind. So happy Mother's Day. What does this all have to do with Mother's Day? What does it have to do with us here this morning worshiping at Truro? I want to suggest that Jesus' invitation to be a part of his family still stands. Those of us who hear the word of God and do it, he's still looking for us, for mothers and brothers and sisters. And as we listen to his word and put it into action, as we trust him, even in scary situations, even when we're afraid, we'll be abandoned. We become Jesus' intimate family members. We become relatives to each other. Mothers, brothers, sisters, children. In fact, Jesus expected his family members, his followers, to enjoy an intimacy with him and with one another that actually outpaced human families. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we shouldn't honor and love our human mothers on Mother's Day. Of course we should. But it might mean that we should honor at least as much those people who've loved and nurtured us in the faith. Those who, like Mary, have listened to God and obeyed, have heard the word of God and done it like those who've listened, like Mary, and those who've listened to us, who've prayed for us, taught us, challenged, and even forgiven us, well, maybe especially forgiven us. For me, that list 
includes Roberta and Connie and Marcia and Priscilla, a woman who prayed for me from college on. I didn't even know it. She followed my career and prayed for me. And every time I'd be back in my hometown, she'd remind me that she'd been praying for me. So Priscilla, and even though this sounds really weird and my husband didn't want me to say it, I want to say thank, happy Mother's Day to my friend John, who in so many different times and places has walked beside me with challenge, love, suggestions. <laughs> happy Mother's Day to them all. One more thing. I think these passages might also make this a great day to consider our relationships as a congregation. What would it look like if we really lived up to Jesus' dream, his dream for us, that our relationships with one another would reflect the kind of intimacy promised to those who hear and obey his word, who trust him day by day? What would it look like if we could more fully become Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters and children? How would our relationships with God, but also with one another, shift if we acted on this truth more faithfully? Can you picture it in your mind's eyes? What would Turo look like? What would this congregation look like? What would the people you're sitting nearby, how would that look? So at the peace, could you say, oh, I, one, I wanted to say, you know, every mother wants that, right? Those of us who've been mothers and sat in the front seat of the car, we'd really like our kids to love one another. So how much more is God in that place? So at the peace, even if it sounds weird, would you say Happy Mother's Day to those around you? This time, here's what I'd like you to think about. Would you say it as a word of blessing, as a word of invitation, a kind of prayer as you say it to one another, that our relationships with one another would grow into what Jesus describes in these passages? Happy Mother's Day.